0: Thank you, John and Chisoo, for the wonderful uh, dinner. Uh, it's such a treat. Uh, <clears throat> these days I think about uh, how little I knew. I'm going to share that uh, this Sunday too uh, in my sermon. Uh, how little I knew. I thought I knew pretty well, but I really didn't know. Uh, So this uh, week's uh, sermon title is, Salvation is Seeing." I thought I see it, but I didn't really see it. That's what I experienced. And Salvation too. Salvation is uh, the utmost important thing in our life. Uh, We can never take salvation for granted or we can never take knowledge of salvation for granted. How does salvation happen in our lives? Just because I go to church, we think that we have salvation. Um, I think, I wonder whether that can be temptation. Church. Gives us temptation. The comfort in ignorance. Oh, you are saved. I just give uh, that, that kind of comfort in ignorance. I wonder. Uh, I'm not saying that church did not do a good job, but church just almost guaranteed. Oh, if you belong to this uh, uh, church or m- have a membership, then you are saved. Then we just give guarantee. But is there something that we can't give? That kind of guarantee? Apart from what church has said to you, you yourself have to understand what salvation is to me. And how else do you know? We just vaguely say, oh, I'm saved, I'll go to heaven, that's not good enough. Or at least that's not good enough for me. I really want to find out what salvation is. Uh, That's why we study uh, the gospel. These people, how did they experience salvation? And when I read the gospel again, my goodness. How did they, how were they able to articulate so well? I mean, we say, oh, salvation, yeah, I have salvation, but we don't know how to articulate. If somebody asks you, okay, explain to me what your salvation is, we don't know. Probably it won't even last two minutes to explain what salvation is. we I not uh, even able to start These people, four people, they just articulated in a wonderful way. Not for their sake, not to clarify their own thoughts, for our sake. They left this precious book uh, to us so that we can also experience salvation. Then Oh, salvation is possible even when you cannot meet Jesus physically. Salvation is possible even when you don't meet Jesus physically. That's what they wished. (coughs) That somehow by reading this book that they uh, were writing, that people find salvation that's what they want because they believe that salvation is possible without meeting Jesus physically uh, and one of them is this person Luke uh, he met he never met Jesus but he believed uh, and he was only Gentile in the entire New Testament all Jewish people wrote in their own religious system somehow. But Luke was the only person who was Gentile, not part of that Jewish system. He wrote two books, and two books, only two books are written by Gentile in whole, uh, the whole New Testament, and these two books uh, are Luke and Acts of Apostle. These two books they wrote. He wrote. Uh, Originally, he wrote these books, uh, uh, Gospel of Luke and Acts, uh, so that people can uh, read it continuously. So it's one book uh, he had in mind. He didn't uh, maybe part two, two parts, but one book he had in mind. But it was too long because Luke is the longest. Uh, the book in the New Testament. And X plus X is the longest. So he could not write everything in one roll of papyrus. So he had to divide into two. Two papyrus. Two rolls of papyrus. So he wrote it in two uh, parts, but later, unfortunately, the people saw it on this. Uh, Matthew, Mark, and there's a Luke, and there's John. Where do we put John? So they put John in between Luke and Acts of Apostle. That's why it, is, it became separated. Luke and Acts were separated, and people totally neglected Acts for the longest time. And they never read as a one uh, continuous book. They just read uh, Luke and finished. And Acts was totally separate book. But uh, Luke wanted us to read the whole thing uh, together. So Luke's gospel does not end in Jerusalem. Luke's gospel actually ends in Rome. Uh, gospel Luke ends in uh, Jerusalem uh, with the ascension of Jesus. But uh, X ends in Rome. At that time, uh, Rome was the end of the world. And uh, in Luke's mind, the end of uh, also X was not really the true ending. He kind of intentionally left it open so that it continues with us. In us, so he didn't finish the book. The X we are continuously making. Apostles began, but we are continuously making uh, that uh, book. So the book is not finished. That had uh, Luke had that uh, uh, in that mind. So le- let me read the last verse of uh, Luke. I mean the X. He lived there for two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. I mean, it's all almost like a, uh, abruptly, in the middle of it he just chopped it off, Finished. It. It's not really proper ending. And we are supposed to carry on. What? started in Jerusalem will continue to the ends of the earth. So Luke's Gospel uh, the Acts starts with this. But you will receive the power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, to the ends of the earth. That he had that vision. That this Spirit comes down upon us, and then you will receive power, and then you will preach to the ends of the earth, starting from Jerusalem to the end of the world. This is amazing proclamation. Because when Luke wrote this book, Christianity was so small and so insignificant and people called it sect heresy and it's just a small group of people who believe that Jesus was uh, resurrected and all that it was uh, I mean it began, began with 120 people in Jerusalem praying together and the Holy Spirit came down so 120 people I mean millions of people were out there and 120 people just gathered together and followed Jesus and yet he thinks that he thinks that this thing that, that that Jesus did will reach out to the end of the world. How did he know? How did he know? That just amazes me. And what he envisioned actually happened. Rome completely changed. Received. Christianity as their main religion on 313, Milano Edict, and then he went to Europe, he just swept through the whole Europe and changed the whole Europe. And then it became all, I mean, all these uh, traditions that we have, is a Christian kind of uh, language uh, uh, attitude, like our justice system and legal system, and even that, just a lot of, uh, is to do with Christianity. And then you went to Asia, and it changed the whole, Korea and all that, and then America, and it just, How did he see that? How did Luke see that? If he wrote this now, then it makes sense, like a history. But when he wrote it, the Christianity was so small. That's why we are uh, going to Madagascar uh, this year. And uh, thankfully, uh, uh, Daniel and Grace uh, uh, will join uh, me uh, together. And uh, I mean, I shared a little bit uh, at the uh, session meeting, but Daniel's brother uh, has a this, this is a business, but it's a genome project. I don't know very much, but it's to do with food uh, production of uh, grain and all that. And he will uh, be he uh, interested in somehow helping out in the future uh, for that. Uh, so. I told uh, Amok uh, to uh, find appropriate people for us to meet, and then we'll talk about it. Then it will be a huge project. Uh, and Grace, uh, her brother, is a very, very successful uh, businessman. He's also interested uh, in helping out. Uh, so we don't know how this will. I mean, these two people will join me as we discuss providence we don't know what uh, this will start uh, uh, in the future I mean Luke that was the vision that he had probably I I don't think it's a, a human's imagination it is spirit it's not human imagination it's not creative thinking Human creative thinking it is that it is somehow very, very spiritual. Uh, the spirit driven. Uh, I find that very, very interesting that the way we live uh, our life is very different from the way they lived. They were just, just, they're just so connected with the spirit. They're so connected with the spirit. And they can see something beyond what they can see. That's why they could write uh, things like that. He was not a trained uh, scholar. He was not trained theologian. He was not even minister. He was a doctor, physician. And one moment he realized, that I gotta write this book. So he gave up. His uh, uh, doctor work. He was going with uh, the Paul, and then Paul uh, gave him the message, and then he was totally uh, converted, and then he decided to write this book. So when you read uh, Acts, it's very interesting. Uh, uh, Luke is saying, "Oh, they, uh, the apostles, went here, and then they went there, and all that, and all of a sudden, at the one point, uh, he said." And we went to, and we, what is this we that is including himself? So we know when he went with, uh, where he went with Paul and all that. So he was a doctor, he gave up his profession, and then he started writing this book. We don't know exactly what else he did. There's no record of what else he did. All he did was wrote, he wrote one book. Uh, Two books, or one book with two parts. (laughs) Amazing. So James, think about it. I mean, he was a Gentile. He doesn't know Jewish system. He doesn't know even uh, as well. He got all the sources, but he had to go and visit all these places, Caesarea and then, uh, Galilee and all this, and then he collected uh, the stories because all those things were in oral tradition. So, orally they knew. So, they met, he met with people, he wrote down uh, everything, and then he collected the story, and then uh, all that. I mean, traveling cost a lot of money at that time. And at that time, nobody wrote a book. Now, everybody writes any kind of book. I mean, sometimes I get upset. Why did you write this book? Why do you waste my time? You know, just so many books, so many books, and it's worthless, some books. I read it, I read a few hours, and it's just, why? Uh, So, so many uh, people write books, but, At that time, nobody wrote a book, because it cost a lot of money. Papyrus itself was very expensive uh, to uh, write on. It's not really paper, it is uh, uh, very expensive to to buy uh, these things. And it's the longest book that he wrote. And then traveling, eating, he didn't have a job. Somebody must have funded him, gave him money to, do, uh, to write this book, and that was Theophilus. Let me read it for you. Since many have undertaken to set down an oral account of the events that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed unto us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, I too decided after investigating everything carefully from the very first to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus, so that you may know the truth concerning the things about which you have been instructed." And Acts began with this kind of thing too. So as a, a Gentile, he had to study a lot and he wrote this book. Uh, so it doesn't, uh, doesn't matter what you do. Sometimes even just writing one long book could uh, make profound uh, impression on people. Uh, you can influence uh, people in an amazing way. Matthew used 90% of Mark. Uh, Luke used only 50% of Mark. So independent, uh, more independent sources from uh, Mark. For example, when you read uh, Luke, John's uh, birth story, no one talks about it, how John, got, uh, John the Baptist was born. Good Samaritan story, no one talks about it, so only Luke The prodigal son, that you know very well, that's only in Luke. The story of Zacchaeus, that's also only in Luke. The story of a rich man and the beggar Lazarus, that is is also only in Luke. And you know, two disciples on the uh, road to Emmaus, they were walking with Jesus, but they didn't know who Jesus was. That story, that's only in Luke. You don't see that in other gospels. And scholars said that uh, Luke's uh, uh, Greek is excellent. Highly developed skill uh, in terms of literary uh, skill. Very well versed in Greek. Very smart man, highly intellectual person, and proper training in Greek writing. And the Gospel of Luke is precious because it is the only book that gives Gentile perspective on Jesus. How did Jewish people see Jesus? You can see it in other Gospels, but how did Gentile uh, see Jesus? That is the uh, Gospel Luke. To Luke, the story of Messiah is not anymore the fulfillment of Jewish promise and that was very strong in Matthew, right? That uh, Matthew, uh, Jesus was the fulfillment of the promise, Old Testament prophecies. And also, uh, that's why uh, the Matthew bega- begins with uh, son of Abraham, because Abraham was the beginning of Israel. And then they were saying, we are the true Israelites, not uh, the, the, uh, by the blood, but by, uh, by faith, we are the trees for And then we uh, reflected on it last week that uh, he, uh, uh, Jesus was also the son of David. And we talked the whole thing about kingdom and king and all that uh, last week. But Luke, what is important is he is a savior for the world, not just fulfiller of Jewish promise, but he is the savior for the world. So very universal uh, significance he sees in Jesus. So when you look at genealogy, Man, Matthew begins with Ma, uh, the Abraham. So uh, Abraham's son uh, and all the way down to uh, uh, you know, Jesus and the 14th generation, then, then, uh, David, King David and all that stuff we studied already. But when you look at uh, Luke's genealogy, it starts with Jesus, and it goes all the way to Adam. All the way to Adam. Not Abraham. Very intentional. So each gospel is very intentional, very different. So humanity, he goes all the way to humanity. So Jesus is not just a Messiah for the Jewish people. Jesus is a Savior for the whole humanity. That's what uh, Luke is trying to do. Let me read it for you. Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his work. He was the son, as was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli, and he continues. Then when you go to chapter 3, uh, 38, son of Enos, son of Seth, son of Adam, and son of God, he goes all the way to God. Son of God. Son of Adam, the humanity. So Jesus' message and ministry have global impact. Global impact. Not just impact on Jewish people, but global impact. And that's what I want to do. That I believe that Jesus' message is not just for Christians. Jesus' message is for all human beings. So, uh, uh, a few years ago, when uh, the, the what's his name Russian Jew Alex. Alex Alex came, uh, he listened uh, to this uh, message, and then every Sunday after sermon he came uh, approached me, and we talked about message. Uh, And then what what he meant, uh, what he thought, and all these things. And sometimes he disagreed. And sometimes, oh, I really like that point. uh, Especially he didn't like that. uh, Even though, uh, uh, consider others better than yourself. Why do you consider others (laughs) better than yourself?
1: We are all the
0: same. He was really reacting uh, to that. uh, So that meant a lot. He's a Jew. He grew up in Russia, he called himself almost close to Buddhist, and yet he was able to listen to the message of Jesus. And Peter, uh, Veronica's husband, he listens to uh, the message every Sunday, every Sunday, more faithfully than anybody, but he calls himself I don't know, I'm not an atheist, but I'm agnostic or whatever. Uh, I mean, he's considering a very honest man. So, I believe that Jesus' message is not for Christians alone. Jesus' message is for human beings for how to live. We human beings, how we should live, that's what Jesus wanted to start, And then Luke had that in mind. Jesus' message is not just for the Jews. Jesus' message is for the whole world. That's why when Luke describes Jesus' ministry and teaching and all that, he put that in the context of the whole world. He put Jesus' ministry and the significant event of Jesus in the event of the whole world. Let let me read uh, a few uh, uh, passages for you to taste it. In the days of King Herod of Judea, I mean, he didn't have to say it, but he had to say this. The King Herod was around in that world that Jesus did this. That's what he's trying to uh, say In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly order of Abijah. His wife was a descendant of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. So he put that event in that context of Herod, uh, the king. And then later, uh, chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Emperor Augustus So he had to put emperor, uh, that uh, kind of context he had to give, that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration and was taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. He made sure that uh, what was going on in the world, and then he put uh, the Jesus story. When you go to chapter 3, it's much more obvious. In the fifteenth year of the reign of Emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea and Herod was ruler of Galilee, and his brother Philip, ruler of the region of Eteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, ruler of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. So he put whatever Jesus' story uh, or uh, relating story in the context of the whole world. He put the map so that we understand uh, Jesus' uh, significance. So in Luke, Jesus being the savior for the world is the most important thing. So the word, the word savior, or salvation was very important. Not just Jewish king, not just Jewish uh, uh, fulfillment, not just uh, uh, descendant of Abraham, but savior of the world. So he said all flesh shall see the salvation of God. So the key passage for Luke is 1910. Key passage for Mark was, Son of uh, God that did not come to the world to be uh, served, but to serve. But here, uh, uh, I mean, Son of Man. Here, for the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. That is a key passage. And salvation to Luke. Now, what is salvation to Luke? It's not just going to heaven after you die. Not a sentimental feeling either, or feeling saved. It's not a sentimental feeling. It's not just going to heaven after you die. Salvation is a very much a present reality, present reality. What's happening right now? It's not what's happening in the future. It is what's happening right now. I said uh, Zacchaeus' story is only in Luke. When when Jesus Christ came to Zacchaeus, and Zacchaeus met Jesus, and somehow by his word and invitation, he was completely changed. He was chief tax collector. He had lots of money. And then he said, "If I, uh, if I uh, rip off anybody, then I'll pay all, all, all four, four times or whatever." So I counted, I calculated all that. It's like uh, his whole money. He gave up all his possession, leading Jesus Christ. And then, after that, Jesus said this. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. Here, important words, today, not tomorrow, today salvation has come. It was a powerful experience for Zacchaeus somehow, for him to be able to give up all his possession, all his money, so kind of uh, what is it? Inspired or so deeply impacted by by meeting Jesus. It wasn't like our feeling. It was totally. So he was able to sacrifice all the money that he had. Sacrificing all this money is not what's important but the heart that is willing to sacrifice all the money, that heart, what is that that heart? That is salvation. That heart, that is salvation. Now, salvation has come. People who used to be small, selfish, selfish, thinking only about themselves, meet Jesus and change. They think about God's vision and they think about others first and they become a bigger person. That's what salvation is. That's what salvation is. Actually is changed completely. It's not coming to church. It's not coming to church. It's not just Uh, living out your religious practice. It is complete change. So, I'll uh, give you uh, discussion questions. What is salvation to you? What does each gospel teach you about salvation? Mark, Matthew, and Luke. So You have uh, learned uh, three uh, Gospels, so I'm sure you're very well versed now (laughs) with these three Gospels. So what is salvation? Uh, Reading and studying these three Gospels, what is uh, uh, salvation to you? And what uh, does each Gospel teach you about salvation and then click with you uh, about salvation? So I want you to... Have a good time of discussion until use the board, like, <laughs> What <are> you <laughs> 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 kind of music, Oh, good. That has to okay. <laughs> Okay. So, I want you to share with the whole group that uh, what what rings true. Uh, so each gospel talked about salvation in different way. What rings are true to you? Uh, so I want you to uh, share some of your thoughts. Uh, and salvation is something that you need to continuously continuously articulate uh, whether you like it or not it is a the the utmost important thing in your life salvation uh, is a key uh, so you need to continuously articulate uh, what it is you know, right so uh, this is a process of articulating some of our thoughts and so together, collectively, I will uh, share some of them. So can you share some that you discussed? <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Let me show up. <laughs> It helps you, 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 if you articulate <laughs> <laughs> If you say it, you will realize, <laughs> yes, I oh, how difficult it is. Come on. What did you discuss? <laughs> say, one of you guys, one of you guys. This is yes, good, it good. It's good. Last bit of the, the, what I heard, it yeah. was pretty good. Yeah. Um, okay. sure. About present versus just going to heaven. <laughs> I think this, uh, some people were sharing, uh, yeah, initial thoughts about salvation is just going to heaven after you die. But uh, the whole notion about present reality, that's uh, a, a real change. And I don't know, I think... Uh, and, and then about... Uh, Uh, that salvation is a change that happens to you, yeah, in the present. And I think that was a key point for some people. That's very good, that's good. I mean, that's exactly the problem uh, with the question of salvation. Uh, We we have a very dualistic kind of, very simplistic and dualistic thinking. You go to heaven or not? Are you saved or not? So, 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 okay, Oh, you go to church. Now, you believe in Jesus Christ, you go to heaven. So after that, what? Okay, you believe in Jesus. Oh, yeah, I want to be saved. I believe in Jesus. You're saved. You go to heaven. Now what? So you don't even think about it. You don't even uh, really think about your life. What are you really saved from? What are you saved from? What are the bondage that hold you? We don't even think about that. Oh, just generally. Oh, yeah, forgiveness. What are the sins that hold you? That enslave you? Are you free? A little bit more free from fear? Are you? Because you, uh, by knowing Jesus Christ, because you know Jesus Christ, are you uh, a little bit more free from worries? What are you safe from? In everyday living. We don't even think about, oh, I'm going to have it now after I die. Then what is the implication for my life right now here? Jesus has no implication for my life here. Right? So, because we put salvation in that kind of dualistic category, and beyond that we don't want to think about it, we don't think about it. Very convenient way of dealing with salvation. So, we live a mediocre life because oh, that, that, that's the most important. After I die, I go to heaven. That's the most important. Here, it doesn't matter. That's why Christians are finger pointed. Such a childish way of looking at life. So immature about how we look at our lives. And after that, okay, since I go go, uh, to heaven, how can I enjoy my life? All my, every day, that's all you think about. Is that salvation? Very immature, like childlike thinking we, uh, we have, in living our precious life. Isn't it pathetic, living like that? And on another level, or just keeping the moral law very well. That's what being saved is. Well, adjust to this society, work hard and, you know, keep keep yourself pure and clean and that's all. What is the difference between Christians and non-Christians in that way? So anything you want to share? We also talked about how we're trying to be gatekeepers of salvation, yeah. right? Like um, trying to be righteous, and, but although salvation is free and for all, right? But I noticed that as Christians or churches, we tend to be very narrow. And if they're, they're not like us, oh, they don't belong in our church or in that so way. It's a very uh, uh, Jewish thinking before Christ. Salvation is ours. We are the children of Abraham. And Matthew is saying that, no, you you are not, uh, even the stones can be uh, children of Abraham. Right? So it's a very, that, that kind of attitude. I possess salvation kind of attitude. And very exclusive attitude. That's why by studying this scripture, what were they struggling with? What were they trying to be saved from? What were were they trying to get across? What message were they trying to get across? Why was it so important that they had to give up everything and write this book? What was so important that they had to do that? So precious books. Four books we have. And we just lightly read it through. All good for meditation. And sometimes good for sleep. <laughs> <laughs> so we have to really be serious about what we believe and what we are saved from every day. That's why we need to articulate what salvation is to me. What is salvation to me right now? What do I need to be saved from? Am I too complacent? Am I too fearful? Am I too judgmental? Am I too critical? Am I too angry? What, what is it that I am being saved from by the power of Jesus? Right? Because the power of Jesus will set us free from all those things that we have to know what we are bound to to be saved from. Right? So I want you to continuously think about that. So to Luke, salvation will not happen by the powerful people. That's what he believed. Oh, I realized that salvation will not happen by the powerful people. People who have money, who have technology, who have power, they are not the ones who will bring salvation to us. But rather, salvation will happen by powerless people. And God will use those who are alienated, and who are weak and vulnerable to bring salvation. For example, Good Samaritan story is only in Luke. It's not Jews who bring salvation to this man. It is Samaritan who was totally uh, alienated from the mainstream uh, society. It is Samaritan who helped uh, this person. Good Samaritan story. So. When you read Luke, you will see strong message of reversal. Message of reversal. So, in Luke's mind, salvation is not too well adjusted to the society. That's not what salvation is. Salvation is not to well adjust to this society and live well respected in this society. But salvation is be transformed and live your life transforming the world. That's what salvation is, to live. You first be transformed and you go out and transform the world. That's what salvation is. And that is what Jesus, uh, 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 St. Paul taught us. I mean, Luke uh, always went with uh, Paul, so he was very much influenced by Paul's message. So he kind of imperson- uh, uh, personalized Paul's message uh, to himself. And, and so, so this is what Paul said. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, salvation to Luke is First, you be transformed by Jesus and go out and transform the world. Because this world does not have salvation, you know, basically. It's a well adjusted. All the powerful people enjoy all the privilege. All the people who have money, they enjoy everything. But that's our salvation. That's what Luke's uh, Luke seen. That's why it's a reversal. That you call that salvation? To me, that's not salvation. That's privilege for only few. Privileged few. That's not what salvation is. That's not what Jesus Christ came to do. Jesus Christ came to choose the weak and vulnerable and the, uh, the, 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 the bottom of the society to change the world so that everybody can enjoy the privilege of beauty of life. That's why in Luke, the outcasts, Samaritans, poor, sick people, women, these are very important. So when you look at Jesus' birth story, Matthew focuses so much on Joseph, because he had to emphasize that Jesus was a descendant of the uh, David. But when you go to uh, Luke, when you read Luke, it's all about Mary. Joseph doesn't even uh, register. It's all about Mary. And you gonna hear what Mary has to say. Let me read it for you. Only in Mark, uh, Luke, he has shown strength. With his arm, he has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty. Very reversal message, very different from our thinking of salvation. Our thinking of salvation just very well just that uh, get a good job and good money and then have children and all that, you know, live well. That's what salvation looks like in North America. But that's a very different picture that Luke is giving. When you read uh, the prodigal son, it is not the elder brother who has been with the father all those years, really understood the father. He was a prodigal son. The one who left the father, he understands father. Much better. Reversal. Message of reversal. When you read rich man and then uh, beggar Lazarus, only in Luke, let me read it for you. But Abram said, child. I mean, this is, uh, the, the rich went to haze, and then, oh, I'm so thirsty, and, uh, and but at least can you tell my, uh, the, 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 the Lazarus to, uh, Lazarus? It? Yeah. Huh? yeah. Uh, to go and uh, tell uh, my brothers, and, so, and then this is what God said. Uh, Abraham said. But Abraham said, child, remember that. During your lifetime, you receive your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, evil things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in agony. Reversal. Very much reversal. If you don't take care of those who are weak and vulnerable, then your fate is doomed. That is the kind of message. That. You cannot just comfortably live in your well-being. You have to take care of those who are weak and vulnerable. That's what salvation is. Ten lepers were healed. All the Jews, supposed to be chosen people, did not praise God, did not thank. But only one Samaritan came back and thanked Jesus and praised God. Very different. That's what salvation is. Strange, he was already healed. And he said, your faith has made you well. The true salvation has reached him. It's not just about healing. His whole self became restored. Luke was very interested in underdog. Those who are considered weak and significant. Not the rich, but the poor. Not the chosen Israel, but Gentiles. Not morally clean people, but sinners. Not men, but women. Let me give you just a few examples. The woman who broke the jar. In John, it's supposed to be Mary. But in Luke, is a sinful woman. He says, sinful woman, Zacchaeus, chief tax collector, thief on the cross, the one who was dying, the prodigal son. You know the prayers of Pharisees and tax collector? It's only in Luke. Uh, Pharisees, oh, I give ten uh, uh, tithing and all this, I fast, and uh, the tax the, the collector, I'm a sinner, have mercy on me. St. Paul's words. There is no longer Jew or Greek. There is no longer slave or free. There is no longer male and female. For all of you are one in Christ Jesus. That is what salvation looks like. Not that kind of separation. But that is all gone. We are all one in Christ. And Jesus' birth story. In Matthew, who comes? Kings come. Magi, supposed to be kings of the east. It's not three people. The Bible never says three people. We say three kings of the east. But no, they brought three gifts. But that doesn't mean three people, each one uh, carried one gift. But there could be five people, ten people. We just have our own because of the picture and then all this um, you know, commercial and all that. So, because we only uh, know Bible through Moses' 10th commandment or uh, Charlton Heston's 10th uh, commandment uh, uh, but we don't know how many kings uh, came, uh, right? So kings came and worshipped but in Luke, who first uh, heard Jesus' birth? Shepherds. Shepherds. Let me read it for you. In that region, the Lord. So, shepherds. I mean, uh, it's a very different story from uh, Matthew's uh, birth story. Shepherds, they are not romantic people. They are thugs and they are robbers, thieves. Because they often, because they, people travel all the time, nomads, right? And then they attack them. And uh, take their money, and then these shepherds uh, were considered very low criminals uh, almost. And and then to them, uh, God showed Jesus birth. When you look at Matthew, there's eight blessings Beatitude, eight blessings. But when you look at Luke, there's four blessings. But when you look at uh, blessings, It's very different. Let me read it for you. Matthew version. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for there is the kingdom of heaven. But when you look at Luke, very different. Blessed are you who are poor. Not poor in spirit. Just simply poor. For yours is the kingdom of God. Righteous life. Is not keeping the law well. Righteous not, uh, life is not just being moral. Righteous life is to be transformed by Jesus and change society. That's what true righteousness is all about. In that way, Jesus was a truly righteous person. Jesus came and really. Uh, Uh, work with those who are sinners, and then change them. That's why at the end, Matthew and Mark says, when Jesus died on the cross, uh, the centurion said, truly he was the son of God. But when you look at Luke's version, Luke said, uh, the, the centurion said, truly he was righteous. Let me read it for you. When the centurion saw what had taken place, he praised God and said, certainly, this man was innocent or righteous. That's what true righteousness is. Very different from Matthew and Mark. I'll give short time to, for discussion. Uh, Oh, no, no, not yet. I give you a question. Yeah. What is the significant mess, uh, significance of the message of reversal? How is it related to Duke's understanding of salvation? What significance does this have for you? I'll give you just 10 minutes uh, to discuss this matter. uh, It's almost 9 o'clock. I cannot give you too much more time uh, with this. So when you look at uh, Luke's uh, message of reversal, uh, I mean, he was, I mean, in the beginning I mentioned that that he put Jesus' ministry and word in the context of the global world. At that time, the global world was wrong. Rome controlled everything. And Christianity was so small. Only 120 people gathered together and prayed. And he's thinking about changing the whole world. Only thing that was possible was this message of reversal. That somehow God will turn upside down. These 120 people, weak, vulnerable, poor, having nothing, they will upturn, roam, and change the world. That kind of vision, only theology that was made, made it possible to imagine that is theology of reversal. That this change, this reversal will happen. And in Luke's mind, how is it possible? The Holy Spirit, that's the answer. Holy Spirit was the answer to Luke. Mark uses Holy Spirit six times. Matthew uses the word 12 times. Luke uses 17 times, but after Jesus died, Still it's a lot, but after Jesus died in Acts, 57 times. So it's not really Acts of the Apostles, it's Acts of the Spirit. So it is not human beings who carry on this movement. It is the Holy Spirit. The people who are weak and vulnerable and then nobody, when they are inspired by the Spirit, when they receive the Holy Spirit, then they will receive the power. And they'll be Jesus' witnesses in uh, Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's what he believed. That's how he lived his life. Day by day, inspired by the Spirit. And also Luke, prayer is very, very important. A lot of emphasis on prayer. So prayer and the Spirit will change the world. And receive the Spirit and you can do it. He knew that with the Roman power, salvation is not possible. What Roman, Roman, Rome cannot provide salvation whatsoever. He firmly believed. And then he believed that God is working with these small number of people to bring about change in this world. And his vision began realized realize how wonderful, how miraculous, how amazing this good news is. Don't you get goosebumps <laughs> when you hear this? I do, you don't? that's a problem (laughs) if you don't get goosebumps hearing this that's a problem how did Luke know when he wrote it and that became realized in real and then over the years we just destroyed the gospel completely and the main message of Luke was buried we don't even know the main message of Liu was Over the years that's what happened. Now we are rediscovering this book and try to understand it. Okay that's it for today and next week we are going to study John in two weeks. So please read John. When you read John, completely different story now. Yeah, it's a completely different story. Enjoy it and then uh, discover it and see uh, what John has to say uh, to us. So let us pray. Lord, thank you for the message. Thank you for the book. It's not just a book. It's the Bible. We thank you for the gospel, the goodness, that you gave to us. We thank you for the same Luke who left us with this precious message. Help us, O oh Lord, to delve into His Spirit. May you anoint every, each and every one of us with your Spirit so those 220 people Or filled with the Spirit and changed the world, we ask your Lord to anoint your Spirit on St. Tim and all of us may be filled with your Spirit and receive the power and be your witnesses in everywhere. In Jesus' name we pray.